Um, so today's reading is Proverbs chapter 31, which you can find on page 1032 of your Black Pew Bibles. The sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance his mother taught him. Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. Do not spend your strength on women, your vigour on those who ruin kings. It is not for kings, Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. A wife of noble character who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Sorry. <laughs> she makes linen garments and sells them, and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honour her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. It's lovely to be here with you today. If we've not met, my name is Carl Forsyth and I'm the senior pastor here at Trinity Church Unley. If you've got a leaflet on your way in today, that might be very useful for you today because there's a couple of points in that leaflet uh, that I won't be speaking uh, to directly today, but you might like to take that away today and have a look at some of those points a little bit later on. Well, I wonder if you've ever given much thought to your legacy. What will be the result of your life or your life's work? There are some people in this world who have left an incredible legacy, aren't there? 
I wonder who springs to mind for you. People with a great legacy. Maybe Nelson Mandela. Or Winston Churchill. Or perhaps it's Mother Teresa. These people all have great legacies, don't they? And this idea of legacy got me thinking about what is a pretty morbid subject, I suppose, and that's gravestone inscriptions. Have you ever given any thought to what you might like to have inscribed onto your own gravestone? There are some great inscriptions out there. I like the hypochondriac's gravestone, which simply says, I told you I was sick. Or perhaps the one saying, I would have preferred a pyramid. I wonder what you'd like your gravestone to say. I think I've been thinking about this topic because I've been captured by a quote that I read in Lindsay Wilson's book on Proverbs. I've referred to Lindsay Wilson's book already last week and Matt uh, Lehman, who spoke for the first two weeks on Proverbs, also referred to Lindsay Wilson. But here Lindsay's actually quoting another author, Mackenzie. Now Mackenzie's trying to capture the result of a life shaped by the book of Proverbs. And so Mackenzie proposes what might go onto the tombstone of a wise person. Have a listen to this quote. It's written on the screen behind me uh, to help you follow along. And remember that this is an inscription on a tombstone. This is what it says. I lived with a listening heart, attentive to God's wisdom all around and within me. With my attention on divine wisdom, I was able largely to close my ears to the influence of foolish people and my own unruly appetites. I was faithful to my spouse and controlled my appetites for food and drink. I was industrious, controlled my temper and curbed my unruly tongue. While I came to realise that life contains a measure of mystery and that God is ultimately in charge of things, I focused on those areas of life whereby making wise choices I could usually ensure auspicious outcomes. I ordered my life so that I knew a measure of peace of mind and worked for harmony in my community. While I respected the poor as those whom God created and loves, I worked to ensure that I would not share their lot. As a result, I secured a reputation for integrity and prudence amongst my peers. Wouldn't it be great to look back over your life and say a similar thing? Now I expect a few of us would want quite so many words on our tombstones, but how great if the legacy of our character was this, that we were remembered as industrious, that we were remembered as people who had curbed our tongues and controlled our tempers. How great to be known as people of integrity and prudence. Last week, speaking of David Jackman and quoting him, I referred to these kind of attributes as belonging to a person who navigates life well. Wisdom's all about navigating life well. Or perhaps put another way, wisdom enables us to live the good life. That means that wisdom is not about intelligence. Rather, it's about our capacity to live the life we were created for. And you can see a great example of that in Proverbs chapter 30, starting at verse 24, 
we read there about the wisdom of four different animals. They're described as wise because they live the life they were designed to live, not because they have great intelligence. Let me read to you those verses, starting from Proverbs chapter 30, verse 24. You'll find it on page 1032 of our Black Pew Bibles. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Hyraxes are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with a hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. See, here in these verses we see tiny animals, even insects, being described as wise because they're able to live life well. They do what they're designed to do. So the ant is described as wise for storing up food over summer. The hyraxes, or rock badgers, are wise because they manage to call a barren, dry, inhospitable wasteland of a desert home. Locusts swarm en masse, sometimes more than a billion at once, advancing as an army, and yet they have no general or no king to lead them. And the lizard, even though they're easy to catch, they're able to infiltrate even the most secure of homes, even a palace. You know, in that way they're a bit like spiders, aren't they? Spiders are easy to catch. If you ever try, you just need to put a glass over the top of one and slide a bit of paper underneath and you have it, a captured spider. But have you ever tried to make your home spider-proof? It's an almost impossible task. Indeed, folklore suggests that you're never more than a metre from a spider. It's a scary thought, I know. Able to infiltrate even the most secure of places. That's what they're designed to do, and therefore they're wise. See, here's the point. Each of these little creatures is described as wise because they lived the life they were designed to live. And the wisdom of Proverbs is not so much about building intellect as it is about living life well. And we see a wonderful example of someone who lived life well. And the result of that in chapter 31. Before we get to the example, I want you to notice the first nine verses of chapter 31. These words come from King Lemuel's mother. King Lemuel was not from Israel. He was not part of God's special people, but the wisdom of his mother has been included into this book of Proverbs, which means it's worth listening to. Particularly important for those of us who have a position of power or responsibility. King Lemuel's mother says this in verse 1 of chapter 31. Listen, my son, listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, and answer to my prayers. Do not spend your strength on women, your vigour on those who ruin kings. It's not for kings, Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer. In other words, King Lemuel, don't expend your energy chasing after women or waste your time in a drunken haze. Why not? Well, verse 5 says that's not for kings to do, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. You see, instead, the role of the king, as it says in verse 8, is to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Verse 9, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. What great advice for a king. 
defend the rights of the poor and needy. It's not just kings that might benefit from a proverb like this, isn't it? Wouldn't it be great if our, our politicians today universally heeded this advice? Speak up for those who can't. Judge with fairness. And then come to think of it, wouldn't it be great if everyone who had a position of authority used that position for the good of society? Caring for those people who have been entrusted to them. So if you have a role either at work or in a sporting team or in a club or, or perhaps even in a church that involves the supervision of others, I think this advice is applicable to you also. Don't use the power for your own pleasure. Don't indulge at others' expense, but rather use the authority you've been given to nurture and care for those who've been entrusted to you. Remember the way that Proverbs works. Those who fear the Lord, who understand his rightful position, will recognise this advice as being wise and they'll choose it as the path for their lives. They'll be shaped by the instruction we read. And so they'll become better supervisors. They'll become shaped more like Jesus. Well, let's move on to the final section of this book of Proverbs, verses 10 through to 31 of chapter 31. Ellie read it to us so well before. What do you think the purpose of these verses is all about? Perhaps you think it's a checklist designed for the wives among us to work through in a way to emulate. If that's the case, then you might start by evaluating your husband. Is he full of confidence? Does he lack nothing of value? I wonder how you'd answer that question. Let's try the next one. Do I work with wool and flax with eager hands? Most of you probably answer no. Well, if it's designed to be a good wife checklist, many of us might not be off to the best start. Thankfully, I don't think this is what these verses are for. Maybe you think then that it's a checklist not for wives, but rather a checklist for those looking for a wife. Perhaps these verses are saying, seek this sort of woman. If that's the case, then you're to look for one who's already married and has children. No, that seems even more unlikely, doesn't it? So what is it? Well, as we answer that question, I think the first thing we need to note is that in the original Hebrew language, these verses were constructed as an acrostic poem. That means that each verse starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So as Lindsay Wilson puts it, this is essentially an A to Z of wisdom. The short uses the character of a noble wife. Incidentally, that phrase, noble wife, is used in the book of Ruth. You might remember how Boaz describes Ruth in, in chapter 3. Remember that scene on the threshing floor when Ruth asked Boaz to spread his garment over her? This is what Boaz says. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. See, the character in this story is a noble wife and the words do make great words of praise for a wife, don't they? One commentator who knows about these things points out that pious Jewish husbands even today recite these words of praise to their wife on the Sabbath Eve. And they are great words of praise, aren't they? But I don't think that's what they're for. Rather, I think this is an aspirational example what we read here is an example of the outcome of what might happen 
were we to put the words of this book of Proverbs into practice. As an example then, these words certainly are not only for the wives among us. Rather, these words are designed to paint the outcome, the result of what happens when at each and every opportunity the wise path is chosen. See, these words are not so much about a good wife, but rather about the good life. And if that's the case, if this chapter is designed to show us the outcome of the good life, rather than what a good wife looks like, then it will be most powerful, most effective, if it kind of picks up on the ideas of the rest of Proverbs, the, the previous 30 chapters, and shows how they kind of play out in the life of this particular character who happens to be a woman. Well, let me show you that this is indeed the case. So the passage begins by saying, A wife of noble character who can find, she's worth far more than rubies. At first glance, you might read these words as kind of an indictment against women. Please don't take it this way. I like what Lindsay Wilson says here. He says, just to be clear, men like this would be even rarer. You see, what this passage is trying to do is to remind us that those who have embraced wisdom are a rare breed. There's not many of them, male or female. That's because wisdom adopted in this way is scarcely found. And that makes it more valuable than rubies. That, of course, is not a new concept. This has been fleshed out a number of times already in the book of Proverbs. Come with me to chapter 3 of verse 13. Here, wisdom is being this time embodied as a woman, and we read these verses. In chapter 3, verse 13, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. See, the scarcity of wisdom has already been shown to be more precious than rubies. Or come with me to chapter 8, verse 10. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies. And nothing you desire can compare with her. But it's not just the mention of rubies that ties us all together. The woman's speech is mentioned. We saw the importance of that last week in chapter 15. The woman plans for the future, yet is not anxious about what lies ahead. That's dealt with in chapters 6, 21 and 24 of this book. Her concern and care pick up on the ideas that are presented in chapters 11, 21, 22 and 29. Her approach to work epitomises the way of the wise in contrast to the way of the sluggard. A big theme in Proverbs. I've listed in your handout there a number of different ways in which you might like to chase how the character of the noble wife fleshes out the rest of the book of Proverbs. Well, what does this all mean? Well, it means that this chapter is applicable to us all as an example, not of the good wife, but rather of the good life. It helps us to see what the good life looks like and the results of it. And if this chapter is about living the good life, it's not surprising it will have a lot to say about our work. For many of us, our work occupies the largest chunk of our time, our awake time anyway. How we go about doing that work matters. Have a look at our example here. The woman is industrious. Do you see that there in verse 15? Getting up while it's still dark. And she works well into the night. Verse 18 says her lamp does not go out at night. 
She does this in order that she might provide for both her family and the wider household. She does this in order that her house life might be far from poverty. And it's not easy, is it, working hard and industrially? I don't think any of us like getting out of bed early, especially if it's so early that it's before the sun rises, as is the case here in Proverbs. But this idea of industrious work, it's a big theme in the book of Proverbs. We see a number of times that the wise path means rejecting our tendency to be lazy. Let me read to you from chapter 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Proverbs helps to see that those who are shaped and changed by wisdom work in a different way to those who are not. A wise example, the wife of noble character, is diligent and trustworthy. She works vigorously. See that in verse 17? She's entrepreneurial and she plans for the future. She buys and sells all the while knowing her profitability. This chapter is a great encouragement on how to go about our work. But I want to remind you it's pointing back to the earlier chapters that also deal with our work ethic, our work practices, our integrity in the workplace. It doesn't stand alone. And work's not the only theme picked up in this acrostic proverb. Even if you're only flicking through the book of Proverbs, you'll you'll notice that it has a lot to say about how we speak. We saw that last week in chapter 15. And so, not surprisingly, here we see the speech of the woman commented upon there in verse 26. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Speech, in the way we use our words, is a matter of wisdom. But for me, the one aspect that I find really encouraging in all these verses is the way in which adopting wisdom here results in living with a sense of security. Have a look with me at verse 25. It says, She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. So well has this woman embraced the ways of wisdom, bringing her cares and concerns to God while also building wisely around her, that she's able to laugh at the days to come. Do you envy her ability to do that, to laugh at what lies ahead? I've spent many a night over the course of my life wondering what lies ahead. I've learned that not everyone does that, you know, but for those of us who do lie awake at night, our heads buzzing with worry or concern, look at this woman. She laughs at the days to come. That's not because she's unhinged or flippant, but rather because she's chosen the path of wisdom, bringing her concern and cares to God, knowing that he is in control. Remember last week we looked at chapter 16 and talked about this idea of rolling our concerns onto God so that his concerns or our concerns become his concerns. Here this woman has done just that and so she laughs at the days to come. What a wonderful picture of the outcome of rolling our concerns onto God. 
Well, the last thing I want you to notice here, here is in verse 30, where it says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. See, this woman's wisdom is, of course, built on that foundation that was laid so clearly in the early chapters of this book, the fear of the Lord. This woman knows the place of God. She knows him as creator, as controller, as Lord and governor of all. And so, as Lindsay Wilson says, she lives the good life. As we read these verses, and as we read it from the assumption that this is a worked example of what it means to live wisely in the world, we come to see that this lifestyle is available to those who adopt the instructions of this book. Those who fear the Lord, those who choose the path of the wise, those who are shaped by wisdom. Before we finish, I just want to flag with you a couple of potential issues that we may come across as we read this passage. Some of us may find the example here a little bit too perfect, like a story of a husband and wife with 2.5 kids, a Labrador and a white picket fence. And our experience of life might be a little different. Our own experience of hard work and diligence may not have resulted in that kind of metaphorical food ending up on the table. And I want to remind you that there are always exceptions to the ideas painted in the book of Proverbs, and we need to be careful and mindful of that. The Bible knows this well. Indeed, the book of Ecclesiastes wrestles with just this idea that there are exceptions to the rules. But I want you also not to allow the exceptions that we might have come across in our own lives to cancel out the wisdom of Proverbs. Proverbs not about the exceptions. The other issue you might come across in this is the perfection of the woman. How could I possibly be like that, you might think? I might be able to get up early in the morning, but by 9pm at night, I'm spent. I might be able to manage merchant ships on the seas, but I'm hopeless when it comes to working with wool and flax. And so where does that leave us? Well, here's where this understanding of this being an example is helpful. See, the example is designed to show us the result of the good life, the result of the pursuit of God's wisdom. But the reality for us as readers today, living after the life of Jesus, is that we have an even more perfect example to look up to. As we look to Jesus, as we look at the life that he lives, we know that our lives will never live up to his life of perfection. And yet... We also know the great hope of the gospel that even when we were dead in our trespasses, he, we were adopted as his brothers and sisters. Adopted through his death and resurrection. The benefits that he has won through his life of wisdom are therefore available to us because we're adopted as his brothers and sisters. I hope that's a great encouragement for you. The book of Proverbs helps us to live in God's world well. I hope no one needs to act on this soon, but I'd like my gravestone to be able to say with integrity, he lived the good life. And by that, I want it to mean that at each and every fork in the road, I chose the path of wisdom. 
I chose to follow after Jesus. That I was shaped by my understanding of who God is, my creator, my redeemer, my hope, my king and Lord. See, that is the purpose of this book. It starts with the fear of the Lord. And for us today, it ends in us living life as disciples of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Almighty God, creator, redeemer, our hope, our king and our Lord, we come to you trusting in your mercy and grace. We've not always chosen the wise path, but we know you as a merciful and forgiving God. In your kindness, continue to transform us into the likeness of your son, Jesus. Help us to live the wise life. Amen.